Brandon. What's up? My friend, it's good to see you, dude. Good to see you too. How's it Hell going? Yeah. I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, you know, trying not to uh try not to get too crazy, just having some fun talking to my friends on the internet like this, you know. How about yourself? Very cool. Um I've been keeping busy uh doing I work at a recording studio. I've been doing some tech work. Cool. I haven't really been getting clients in, you know. Um been working on writing music. That's mm. been cool. A little bit of downtime for that. And otherwise just um, you know, hanging in there, trying to stay safe, trying to stay healthy. Nice, man. So yeah, so working at the recording studio for for the uninitiated, tell us a little bit about your your strengths the 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 things you're involved in Mm. well our recording studio has a lot of old vintage analog gear that's kind of my forte um working with tape machines calibrating tape machines um working with old consoles i do a lot of wiring in the studio um we have a bunch of very cool uh vintage processing like compressors equalizers reverbs um microphones and then instruments too we got pianos uh guitars amplifiers effects pedals so using a lot of analog gear to make live music basically hell yeah man Um, so using the computer more as just like you know an editing device and the storage device but we're using a lot of analog tape, which has been very cool, and um, and just getting like vibey tones, going for aesthetic, cool. and um, just we're just trying to make some cool music out of there, some cool art. So that's our nice, thing. man. When you say wiring work, are you talking about like getting deep inside of consoles and things, or? cables mm-hmm. connecting consoles or so like are you talking about all like, of the above yeah like repair and like all yeah, the way down to some repair work i don't i don't work as much on circuits like circuit boards and that sort of thing uh-huh. although i'm starting to get into that a little bit yeah. more yeah. <clears throat> but um signal flow in the studio mm-hmm. so from so you've got the microphone you plug it into a cable but you're in a different room than maybe the control room, right? So then it's going to go into the snake. The snake carries the signal all the way to the patch bay. From the patch bay, then it's going to go into all of the other devices that are hooked up to the patch bay, including Mm. the computer, tape machines, effects processing, all of that signal flow, that matrix, I've done all the wiring for in our studio. Oh, wow. As well as the wiring of the console, that we have, we have this vintage um, 60s console. And when we got it, it was just wires coming off of it. We didn't know where the wires went. Like, you know, we knew that there were the inputs and the outputs, but who knows which one's what and that. Mm. <clears throat> so we went through and we found all the points on that console, which there's like, let's say, I don't know, but let's say like 100 mm-hmm. points, <clears throat> like 50 inputs and you know, points in between on the console that aren't leaving and then like 25 outputs, something like that. Wow. Um, and then I did all of that wiring as well. So then that goes to the patch base. You can get in and out of it at any point, basically in the console. Damn. So How long that was a... like, that was like two weeks of wiring. 
Wow. So that's sitting there with a soldering iron. Yeah. Sitting there with a um, a multimeter testing points, seeing where the signal's going. You know. Yeah. Oh, this connects to that one. Beep beep. This one connects to that one. Beep beep. Or like searching and figuring all that out. So. Yeah. Is is this pretty enjoyable work for you or? Yeah, I I, I love it. <clears throat> I love that it's a good balance of that side, the technical side, as mm -hmm. well as working with artists and making music. Mm. So when we're between projects, I'm working on upkeeping the studio like I am now. Um, and then we'll get clients straight for like two months here and there, you know, mm. or like a week here, a week there. Mm. So that's wild. Are a lot of things, a lot of pieces of gear, like, they, they, I imagine there's a certain amount of upkeep because everything's analog. So you're getting in there and you're repairing things. and mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it's beyond me, we have a number of techs that are good at different specific jobs. Cool. So N Nice. If we have an amplifier that goes, we send it out to a guy. If we have cool. like a tape machine that is has components that are going bad, we'll send out a piece of it to a, a guy and mm -hmm. have him fix it. Nice. Nice, yeah. man. Tell me about like your initial experiences with like vintage analog gear and how, like, how has mm. that claimed such a soft spot in your heart? Well, when I first got into recording in that, I had an inbox. I had a couple of microphones, laptop. Yeah. Didn't really think much about like recording consoles in full scale studios because I didn't have the opportunity to be in those spaces really mm. um but i studied uh recording basically um music technology mm -hmm. <clears throat> at nyu and in that time i kind of i started to get used to using synthesizers and using recording consoles and patch bays um because we had little studios at the at the school that we could use you know nice and then I think it was my junior year, we had to start doing an internship. So you could do an internship in a number of things. You could work at like a radio station. You could work servicing things. You could, you know, there were a lot. My program was very like rounded, you know, like the, it, it wasn't very specific, but you learned a lot about music and technology. Yeah. Basically. And um, I had an opportunity to work at this recording studio <clears throat> called Trout Recording in, in Park Slope in Brooklyn. And they were working with some of my favorite artists <clears throat> around that time. They were working with um, Akron Family. Cool. And they did um, some pavement records. Nice. Like a little earlier. Um, they were working with this uh, badass Joan as Policewoman this uh, female artist, New York based. And, uh, and I was really excited to get, you know, get in over there and they, they accepted me and, and that studio was very niche mm. analog recording and mm. mixing. So I learned how to bias tape machines. I learned how to wire stuff up. They did like most, they did all their wiring themselves as wow. well as like, air conditioning and power and oh, dang. all that sort of stuff. And so the lawnmower <clears throat> out front. 
yeah, they, they knew how to do all that stuff. And I learned how to do a lot of that stuff. So, um, that experience in, in one hand, there were like three people working there and then me as an intern. And I knew that was the type of recording environment that I liked rather than like a big, like sometimes like high end recording studios can have this kind of like a sterile type of mm. feel to them. You know, everything's like, I, I don't know, like maybe too pristine, too clean. It's like, uh, yeah. I don't know that type of environment kind of makes me <clears throat> personally nervous. So especially when working on art and music, like I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel kind of at home, you know, Yeah. that studio had that. And then just vibe like the, the recordings had such warmth yeah even if somebody brought in a project that was recorded at their home studio and mm. we would mix it on the other end of that but the final product was always so warm and natural sounding and that's when i really got a, an aesthetic appreciation for uh for analog gear and analog recording and you know quality uh electronics like yeah, the um preamp designs and that a lot of those go back to the thirties and forties. These guys were like serious electrical engineers designing these things, mm. you know? Um, and they're well built and they sound incredible. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. I, uh, I've only ever recorded on my laptop. Well, that's not true. Actually. I have been into some recording studios with friends like, uh, like like yourself, like a situation where like a friend. Well, I guess this is how you used to be, not how you currently are. But like um like a friend who was like interning at a studio, get in there and record some stuff. But um, but yeah, man, I uh, I'm interested in really like learning to hear the difference between the analog stuff and the digital stuff. What are some What are some records that you would point me towards to like really check out that analog warmth? <sighs> Well, anything before 1993 <clears throat> yeah. was recorded on tape. Yeah. So you got a lot of quality recordings and, and some really vibey stuff in there. Even if it's not cool. necessarily big sounding, there's an organic element to it. Mm. Um, like I love the Mamas and the Papas records, for yeah. instance. Um, yeah. Obviously the Beatles stuff. I really like moody blues recordings um i mean there's a lot out there from the old stuff totally from the newer stuff i'm trying to think you know it's hard to tell sometimes if who's recording digital and who's recording analog and a lot of times people are what might record digital and then like dump it down to tape for warmth mm. And then you also have a lot of plugins now that are trying to emulate a lot of analog gear. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's hard to tell within that process, like necessarily what, how it was done. Mm. Um, but I know tool records analog. Um, mm. There are a lot of albums now that are like hybrid, like yeah. somewhat recorded to tape and then some are, some tracks are not. Yeah. Like I know the Joanna Newsome stuff is, is like that. Mm. Um, Devendra Banhart is a pretty good example of full analog recording. Are you familiar with his stuff? Not at all. Oh, he's like a local LA 
they they call his genre like freak folk, but he's a folk kind of um I don't know, free spirit. Yeah. Dude, he's super talented. Um and he has records that are as lo fi as like just the whole thing done on a four track tape recorder. So you just yeah. have four tracks the whole time. Yeah. And then he's done like full productions with like, you know, piano, live strings, drums, all of that stuff. Cool, man. And nice what is it uh yeah. what does it mean to buy us a tape machine to buy us a tape machine yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you were saying that's one of your responsibilities at the uh the recording studio yeah um so basically it's it's setting all of the levels so that they're at zero across the, the uh, frequency spectrum okay cool so there's the level that goes into the tape machine the level that comes off of the um, playback head and then there's basically the equalization of it. So mm. the low end and the high end is balanced and all of that. Mm. If your tape machine isn't calibrated, it can sound like a turd, like just complete crap. Mm. And if it's calibrated like to a T, then it's going to sound incredible. It's going to wow. have plenty of headroom. It's going to have warmth. Mm. Um, so how do you go about setting? Is there like a specific tool that you have to like set everything I get like in my mind, like zero it would be this arbitrary place. It is, you is, know, how, like, or is it scientific? No, it's as arbitrary as zero is like in the digital world. Like mm. you have basically like, <clears throat> or as arbitrary as, as the level of music itself. Like you could put a record out that's like pretty quiet, but then when you play it against another record, you're going to be like, whoa, it's like so quiet compared to this other record, you know? Mm. The other record's just made louder, but you're only going to get to a certain point of loudness before you're peaking, right? Yeah. So at some point they came up with the standards of what zero was going to be. And in the analog realm, uh, plus four db is zero and in the digital world negative 18 db is zero hmm. but you could you could calibrate your studio to negative 20 db but as long as you're consistent then you know like where you're at all the time you know if all your gear is calibrated to one set standard then you're in the clear basically but with a tape machine you might take that tape and somebody else plays it on their tape machine so you have to make sure that their levels are the same. Otherwise, mm. it's going to be peaking or it's mm. going to be like not loud enough and there's going to be too much tape hiss in the signal. So you, f you find this like Goldilocks zone of basically like the tape is made of this material and that material wants to see a specific level to get a, a good ratio of sound without distortion and when it gets, but then if it gets too quiet, then you're going to have too much tape hiss. So you, you, you mm. just want to be in that zone. Um, they have, <clears throat> so this here, this is my MRL tape for my tape machine. Cool. And this is basically like industry calibration. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting, so, man. So you put this and you play it back on the tape machine. Yeah. And then you know that at 1K, the signal, that should be hitting zero on your meters here. 
Mm. So you play it back and you're in repro here, you, you put that at zero. And then you do the frequencies, high frequency and low frequency. Then now you know that you're playing back at the right, um, at the right levels. So then you go back and you calibrate the input of the tape machine. So then now you know what's going in, what's coming out is already calibrated to zero. So now you can test what going in is going to be. So mm. that's how you do it. Wow. That's amazing. So <clears throat> are you telling me, let's see if I understand this a little bit. If I plug my guitar into something that's analog and it is biased or calibrated to zero, that piece of analog equipment is going to add four dB of volume to my guitar signal? No, if, if that machine is calibrated properly, it should add no gain to your, to your guitar signal. So what does it mean when you said that the industry standard is plus four for analog? Basically, zero is like, zero is, I think, lower, I don't know. They came up with this You're, like zero at some point, right? Yeah. What zero dB is as a level. Cool. And plus four from that is like an ideal to run equipment at. Interesting. I think that's basically how it happens. But dependent on what tape machine you have, you, uh -huh. your zero might be at a different level. Mm. So you have to know, like, you have to buy the right MRL tape. Like, that MRL tape is for my tape machine. And my tape machine... My tape machine's at plus three. So that's oh, even... That's not relative. The plus four, I think, is like a current modern, like good level. Interesting. It's just like the, the, what our digital zero is comes out as plus four in the analog realm. Oh, so it's like a, it's like a relationship between digital to analog. There's yeah, but Interesting. It, it was before there was digital as well, like just old analog equipment. Hmm. Like this machine is like 19, I don't know what year this is, like 71 or 72. Cool. And um, and like I said, that's plus three. Yeah. So it's that's zero to that machine, you know? Interesting. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm sorry to get so specific on this stuff. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, I don't myself. really know like who decided what these numbers are and that, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Just, that's just, I understand the relationship between them. Yeah, it, it it almost reminds me of how like uh, like equal temperament like we decided that we're gonna tune everything to like a four forty and we just decided that like yeah that was a it 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 almost it seems like a similar kind of system. It's very similar. Yeah, yeah. Wild. It's just man. They had to decide some. They had to decide in time. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. um if if you don't mind me asking more specific questions about <laughs> the recording process and gear, um, the, hopefully I have the answer. <laughs> I'm sure you do. You know you know much much more about this than I do, but um, <clears throat> the uh, 
The word tape machine. I've heard that word used to describe these like huge things that look like they do tons of things. And then I've also heard that word used to describe like a little like four track recorder that records to like a little cassette tape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like, like the word tape machine, like what does that really mean? What can I expect like a tape machine to be able to do? Well, you're right. All of those are, are tape machines. <clears throat> any um, any play any recording and playback device that takes tape is going to be a tape machine. Okay. But that can vary extremely. That mm. can vary from like a two track, a two inch twenty four track tape machine, mm. which is going to be huge. Twenty four yeah. tracks of electronics are going into this thing. The tape is two inches wide. The head stack on that thing is two inches wide. Um, and, and somebody's got to calibrate all 24 channels on that thing. <clears throat> That's like pretty much as big as they get. Mm-hmm. And, and then you could have just a two track little portable, you know, battery powered tape recorder that's or one channel you know it's just a mono tape recorder and you plug a microphone into it and it records and it plays back but they have all the same elements in them Mm. which is a motor that runs the reels so that the tape goes across whether it's in a cartridge like a cassette tape inside that cartridge is just the same mechanism here it's it's Mm it's spools with tape on them going across tape heads. Mm. So this is just a really fancy version of like a cassette deck basically, Mm. or a little Porta, like those four track uh, Tascam cassette recorders. Those things are cool. You're just recording like four tracks down to a cassette deck, like, and it's a tape machine. That thing I don't think you can calibrate though. Hmm. as far as i know i don't know it's just it is what it is out of the box yeah so even like you could have like a little walkman with a recording button on it and a microphone input and you're recording to tape hey there it's a it tape is. recorder nice. nice yeah cool man thanks for clearing that up for me with the uh with all the roles that you find in the studio between like producer studio manager, engineer, tech, mixing engineer, mastering engineer, all this stuff. What are what are the roles that you find yourself gravitating to most? I really like recording music. Cool. As a recording engineer. Nice. And that would leave out the production element. Yeah. I like to work with someone else who would be the producer. Mm. and to work with an artist or the band. So I'm kind of this in-between guy that's running the equipment, setting up mics, making sure everything sounds really good. Cool. And then the producer might say, hey, but we want this to sound lo-fi or we want this to sound like distant. And then, you know, I make the choices of setting up different mics in different places to get a different mm. sound. Um, but I really like recording high fidelity just like it's fun to get like a great sound out of an instrument mm. like an acoustic guitar you know 
or a piano. Like that's really satisfying to me to put like two mics on a piano mm. and set them up in the right place and to go through the right signal chain of equipment, which might just be a preamp. Yeah. And then for that to sound like heavenly, you know, or huge. Yeah. Or as realistic as if you're sitting there, mm. depending. Sometimes with recordings, you want it to sound realistic, like it's a performance and then you're there in the room. And sometimes you want to create something that is otherworldly or, you know, I, I think of it like, like painting in a lot of ways. Like mm. you could paint a picture that looks exactly like a mountain or a tree, or you could paint a picture that gives a certain feeling. Music's the same way. <clears throat> Recording is the same way. Songwriting is perhaps more important, but once you have that song, it's like, where do you want that song to live aesthetically? Mm. How do you want that song to be captured? And that's the, that's the recording element of it. You know, I, I've played in bands and, and I love performing live and I love that, that whole thing as well. But making a record is like slightly different, slightly more permanent art form, you know, but it still takes all the same writing and everything that goes into live performance. It's just trying to capture those songs in a way where it's going to live and, you know, portray the songwriting as good as it can and portray the feeling and the emotion. Hell yeah, man. So there's that element, which is like capturing those sounds, but then there's capturing the performance. Mm. And that is, you know, more important even. You know, that the singer is is on and is feeling it and is in that headspace. <clears throat> so you got all these different parameters that go into making a good record. And yeah, so I love that. Hell yeah, man. What are, what are like some of the characteristics that make a great recording engineer? Recording engineer? Yeah. Uh, attention to detail. Cool. Uh, it's important to be able to make decisions on the fly. Like mm. this sounds good or this doesn't sound good. It's important to be able to stay objective mm. throughout the process because once you start getting too deep into it it's hard to tell what's what you know mm. you're like you're just completely immersed in it and you, it gets hard to tell it's like yeah let's just get the acoustic guitar down let's just but no let's get that acoustic guitar down and let's get it to sound good but let's not pressure the the musician too much you know we don't want to stall or where the musician might lose their inspiration and so there's this balance of like efficiency and um, and like efficiency and attention to detail. Mm. So that's really important. And I think, you know, engineering is in the, in the description, right? Recording mm. engineer. So you've got to understand signal flow and you've got to understand enough about what how microphones work yeah. and how preamps work and gain stages and that sort of thing yeah i've worked alongside engineers that like 
don't understand like the gain stage of a of a preamplifier or that mm. they don't want to like touch things and mess with knobs and it's like because they're afraid they're gonna like make it sound worse <clears throat> mm. and but you can't be afraid to try and make something sound better totally you know and the but the more you do it the more confident you get and the more you know that something is going to sound good that this microphone with that instrument is going to work right you know that sort of thing hell yeah so it's once you know the basics it's about trusting your instinct being able to be objective throughout the process and then putting in the hours of experience like like any skill set cool man how do you prepare for sessions? Do you find yourself like uh, checking out like the artist's previous work or are there, are there like specific questions that you try I to ask the artist? I try not to, to a certain extent. Okay. But I do love to have an idea of what's going on in the session. Mm. A lot of times we have sessions where an artist doesn't really tell us exactly what we're going to be capturing. Um, so they come in and it's like, oh, okay, we're, I got to set up drums and mm. we got to set up the microphones and that all takes time. I, I would love to know ahead of time, you know, <laughs> oh, we're going to do drums. We're going to use your drums that you have in the studio. Set us up a mm. kit. Okay, great. I can do that. Um, and then we'd be ready to go. Um, but if we're making an album with an artist, there, there's an element of pre-production for sure. Mm. um involved and that <clears throat> that basically gets everybody on the same page in terms of like what what the game plan is you know mm. because like i said if it, efficiency is is huge especially if you're spending money in the studio yeah but also you don't want to feel pressured while you're trying to make your art you know totally man so there's this element of like being prepared but not being like too prepared i guess yeah. yeah yeah being able to uh like pivot if you set something up like exactly like what you were saying if you set something up and you need to move the mic or if you need to turn a knob and not being afraid to make it sound any worse i know exactly what you mean when you say that too like there have been so many times where i've been like mixing something and i'm like oh, i don't want to i don't want to touch the preset on the compressor because <laughs> i might screw it up <laughs> Yeah. yeah, dig in, you know? Exactly, exactly. Worst thing you could do is lose your sound and hopefully you've documented it. Or yeah. I'm like a, a really a stickler with documentation as well. Mm -hmm. so, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> like, for instance, if you found a sweet spot on a compressor for, for a song, <clears throat> making either a really strong mental note of where that is before moving it, or taking a photograph. I mm. photograph gear all the time. Mm. We just <clears throat> worked on this record. Um, it was a really interesting record um, where it was made all on a boat with found sounds while he was on a boat up in the Arctic. I think he was up in the Arctic. I don't really know. Cool. But it was somewhere it sounded like it's like Scandinavia or something. Mm. <clears throat> um, and he had already mixed the thing and he he was basically like i want you guys to like 
fuck it up and make it like more analog and make it um make it sound cool like use your instinct and try and make this sound cool so <clears throat> there were 11 tracks on the on the record and we processed each one of them differently mm. <clears throat> through like analog delay or um eq um through filtering all of it went through our um, ampex tape machine and some of it we put through little like we were talking about those little tape recorders mm-hmm we, we put some of the audio through like little 60s tape recorders that are like this big that like, who knows like what the history of this thing is. Like, yeah. you know, recording somebody who's now like maybe 70 years old when they were like 10 or learning piano, you know, like yeah. recordings like that were done on, on these machines, like little home recorders for yeah. that era. Recording to those, recording, oh, cool. sending it through amplifiers, like reamplifying yeah. it, micing yeah. the amps, things like that. Every single thing we did, I documented mm. in case I have to redo it or we want to make a change a little mm. bit here, a little bit there. Same with when I like mic up anything for a recording session. Mm. The drums, completely documented every session I do. Mm. <clears throat> Acoustic guitar. Because what if I make something like I get a sound that is like magic. Mm. And I'm going to be like, man, how did I get that sound? Mm. I'm going to want to get that sound every time, you know? Is there a way to document uh, like the tuning of drums? No. Well, I mean, I guess you could have somebody hit each one. And if you have a picture of what the drum is, then you could tune it back to that. Interesting. man. But that's like, that's cool. I think, I'm not very good at tuning drums. I leave that to the drummer usually. Yeah. But uh, I imagine that takes a lot of like intuition, you know. Dude, drum tuning—it's—it's very elusive. I feel—I feel the same way about compressors. I just like I'm—I'm—I'm learning how to hear all these things. Because it's also like I don't know. I've—I've played with drummers that. like to tune to a frequency and are more so a frequency. And then I've played with drummers that more so tune to a vibe. And it's interesting. There's like different schools of thought on all this stuff. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Cause you could be playing, if you play like, I guess a drummer, like for a live show, really he's tuning the drums for that entire performance. Yeah. But a lot of times in the studio we're, we're tuning drums per song, you yeah. know? Yeah. Cause it's like, well, you, you've got to be, you don't want to be, well, I mean, if it sounds great and you want the same sound on every song, then you can go with that and there'd be continuity in that. Yeah. But I think there is an element of like dialing in the sound per song, you know, the song keys are going to be different. Tempos are going to be different might want the drum to ring out a little bit longer it's a slower song things like that you know yeah man i totally agree drummers are man fucking love drummers i always i always joke that <clears throat> if i had three hundred dollars to buy a band i would spend three hundred dollars on the drummer <laughs> it's just like it's like the most important thing for me at least playing live it's just like the drums like they they have to be there yeah like the singer the singer can suck like the front man whatever like whatever but the drums when drums are bad it's just it's never good i think 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, man. Do you uh do you want to talk about this EP you just put out, dude? Sure. Hell I'll... yeah. So you're in a band. Well, LA River Band. We we stopped performing November last year. Okay. Well, a year and a half ago. All right. <laughs> I hear you. So, end of 2018 was our last performance as a band. So it's 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 now LA River Bended. Past tense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Nate and Jacob still play together in a band called um, Good Run. Cool. Um, and then Emily plays with her husband Kenny in yeah. Hope Hall. I've got to I've got to look up the name. There's too many Hope Hall too many chil- words in it. Children's Choir, I think. Yeah, but isn't there a fifth word in there? There might be a Hope fifth Hall, word. Chamber Children's Choir. Chamber Children's Choir. It's something like no. that. Maybe it's just Hope Hall Children's Choir. I think it's four words, but don't hold me to it. I won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, so they're keeping busy doing cool. that. But yeah, LA Riverbend, it's been a little while. So mm. our last performance, end of 2018. Mm-hmm. And then um, into 2019, we did this record. Mm. And, and it was basically the songs that hadn't been recorded that we wrote, you know, the last year or so of performing together. Cool, man. Yeah. Nice. We made that Moose Cat recording with Mike Post. Good old He Mike. engineered it. Dude, yeah. the drums sound really good on that record. Yeah. yeah. Jacob did a fantastic job performing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then and Mike did such a good job, you know, recording them. Yeah. So. Did Mike also mix I, it? Yes, he makes cool. it. Cool. We worked together a little bit on the recording. Um, cool. He used like some of my mics, um, but it was you know his space and mm. running his equipment and that. Um, yeah. So I think we made a pretty good team. Came up oh, with yeah, pretty man. good, pretty good sounding little. Uh, it's like in between an EP and an LP, seven songs. So yeah. Yeah, it's that like perfect middle ground. I think you could call it a record and no one would get too mad at you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I liked it. I was uh I was playing drums along with it earlier today. Having, oh, having cool. some fun. Nice. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, Jacob did such a good job playing on that. <clears throat> um it's a fun record to make. I love those songs. I miss them dearly. Mm. You know, we haven't played them in a long time. Yeah. We were talking about getting together maybe for a, you know, little release show. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that'll happen. Although yeah. we ended up releasing it now when we're in quarantine <laughs> and can't play together. But yeah, I I I remember shows. I got a uh, I got an email today promoting an, an animals animals as leaders show at the Hollywood Palladium in August. And I just laughed. I was like, that's not going to happen. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think, I, like, I don't know, man. Like, but, like the Staples Center, for example, will probably be closed for, like, a year and a half. Like, all, like, the, you know, the huge the huge spots. Definitely. There's no way, man. Mm-mm. It's, it's going to be a while. Yeah. How are you doing with all the 
Corona stuff. Tell me, tell me like your story of how it's been. Well, you know, there's an element of being paranoid about being sick. Mm. Um, like there were a couple of days where I was like, I don't know, like I had a sore throat mm-hmm. and some congestion. Like I've still got a little bit of like, but it's been like over a week. I've mm. never had a, um, you know, spike sparked a um, fever or anything like that. Yeah. But there's just this element of like, oh no, maybe I've got it, you know? And then, mm. but every time it's like past and it's, I haven't had the, those specific symptoms. So yeah, I think there, I, I feel like different in this time, like a sense of, uh, a sense of like constant, exhaustion to Mm. to a certain degree and then also i'm like more sensitive to caffeine than i have been in the past that's so it's like i'm always tired but then but then i could get like super hyper on caffeine in like a way like my body wouldn't normally act that way but Hmm. i think it's just like an underlying level of stress from all of this you know just constantly thinking about it a low level like anxiety fear that just is like riding out, you know? Yeah, man. But right now it's like, I think maybe, maybe other people feel the same way, like starting to get used to it a little bit more feeling like, okay, well, we're just going to be riding this out for a while. The like immediate threat feels like it's like gone away a little bit. Not like I'm lax. I'm still like, you know, wearing the face mask and everything like that but totally um yeah it's been it's been interesting but there have been some elements that i appreciate in all of it you know things are slowing down things are pretty slow right now given uh good old gaia mother earth a little bit of a, a break yeah you know like the, i've seen squirrels like crazy on my street like <laughs> like nature's waking up a little bit as we just like aren't driving as much and aren't putting such a toll on on the earth um so that i love i love yeah. to see that and i think there's room for like i was telling father time he was asking me <clears throat> about this when we were on the couch LA um, interview and I feel like it's a time like we're all kind of able to take an objective stance and like reevaluate some things about, you know, the, the way that things have been going and in on earth, you know, the whole planet is going through this together. So, um, so I'm interested to see what happens on the other side of it. Um, and somewhat hopeful, but I don't know if that's just like blind hope or what, but I don't know. It would be nice to see some changes and to, you know, be able to slow down a little bit more. I think our pace of life is just like out of control in the modern era, you know? Yeah, man, especially trying to do the music hustle thing and going to shows. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen you at a ton of shows. I know you're always out hanging out and having a good oh, yeah. time. So it's like, you know, 
you wake up early, you work all day, you go out to shows at night. That's a, it's a busy life. It is. It is. Yeah. I've appreciated. What do you do? What do you do, uh, what, what do you, do you have a day job or what do you do during the, uh, during the day before you go out to shows? <laughs> totally. I, um, I have about third, well, not anymore. Now it's more like 24. I have about 24 private music students. Uh, yes. We've yeah. talked about this. I remember at the hi-hat yeah. we were talking about this. Yeah, I'm one of I'm one of those guys. One of the That's one of the great, one of the music teacher folks. It's to be it, able to do music in any iteration and call that your job and your living and your way of life, I think is incredible. It's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I like it a lot more than like working at Target or something. And the, the the only reason I say that is because I have worked at Target before, so I'm speaking from experience. But um, all the Target employees are like, "What he say?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I hope so. I hope I get some Target employee flack. That'd be nice down in the YouTube comments or something. But um, uh, it's nice because I can I can stack them all in like three days. So then I have four days to like work on other shit. Um, That's great. Which is really, really nice. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's like a meaningful service that I provide. Like a lot of my students um, really appreciate it. Like I have, I have students that are really young and I have students that are a lot older than me. And I put on like twice a year performances for my students. And they like, uh, like earlier today I was, I had a, I had a zoom call with one of my students and I noticed in her bedroom and her back wall, she had taped up um, the performance programs from the two performances that she's been in. And cool. uh, like that, I don't know, stuff like that really like makes me happy to know that they, they really appreciate the service that I'm providing. Um, totally. But man, switching over to the online lessons has been a huge pain in the ass. It's been, uh, been very difficult to acclimate to and adjust to um and i think i'm i think i'm just about figuring it out but but yeah that's my uh that's 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 how i make money so i pay rent and buy my groceries or whatever and i'm i'm super thankful to be able to have a job yeah yeah what makes the uh video so difficult just like holding the students attention or like getting them to actually see like what fret you're on and that sort of thing or a bit of it is that um the largest thing is that i am extremely limited as an instructor in like the mm. services that i can provide over the internet so i can no longer play with them at the same time which was a huge part of lessons and um like zoom is really good for having a conversation with someone but uh when my students play for me over zoom i hear about 60 to 70 percent of what's going on um because a lot of the video applications have like very aggressive algorithms for taking down anything that's not a human voice like even if you Yeah, even if even if you go into the settings and you alter stuff, it still is just never like a very good sound. Um, yeah. So that's very frustrating. And then um, I don't know. I can go on and on. Blah blah blah. I'll say like three more things and I'll stop complaining. 
I, uh, I have to talk like slower and a little bit louder. So it's like straining on my voice, like physically. So I'll teach for like five hours straight or something. And then at the end of the teaching day, I'll, um, I'll, I'll be a little more tired than usual. Um, and, uh, the way that I used to do lessons is I would largely improvise the lesson while I was in the lesson, um, which, you know, works out for me fine because I've been teaching for a number of years and I'm able to do that. But, uh, it's much more difficult to do that over the internet because while I'm like writing something or transcribing something down, I'm no longer holding their attention over the internet. So that means that I've had to prepare for lessons a lot more. And, uh, it's a little bit difficult to prepare for lessons because sometimes I'll prepare something that's too difficult or sometimes I'll prepare something that's not difficult enough. And it's just, it's just frustrating. It's, it's, uh, it's better than not having a job and it's better than them not receiving music lessons at all. But, uh, to me, it's in, it's in no way comparable to sitting down with someone in the same room and like discussing the, the finer points of (laughs) playing music. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine that'd be difficult. Yeah. It's funny. Like younger kids, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, um, about sixty or about sixty or seventy percent of my students are kids, um, and then the rest are older. So I'm I'm thankful to have a fair amount of older students. It's nice too. Like some of my students are in their seventies, so uh, it's like every week I'm spending time with people in multiple different generations, and it kind of gives me this like perspective that I feel like not a lot of different musicians have. Like I feel like a a lot of musicians in Los Angeles are usually like hanging out with people their own age. Yeah. Um, So uh, that's kind of cool, but uh, yeah. But yeah, it's. the blah 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 i'm just re-articulating everything i've already said the transition to online has been difficult but i'm i'm, I'm slowly figuring it out yeah. nice yeah. yeah so that's that's what i do for work and then um i'll be releasing i put out a record in january and i'll be releasing a cover in about two weeks or so and then i'm gonna release a couple monthly singles and i'm trying to decide on like I think I want to make another record, so I'm trying to decide on the kind of record that I want to make. So I have a couple different ideas. So that's that's like the direction that I'm I'm really trying to go in is being someone who makes records and figuring out a way to support myself doing that. The the teaching stuff is definitely like to get by in the meantime. And the record making is mostly at home at your space. That's how it's been. Yeah, I'm, I've I've only made that one record, so I don't, you know, I'm I'm definitely still getting used to all of this stuff. But um, yeah, that was uh, that was here in the space, which was cool because um, it was honoring this like year long project I did last year, and I wrote all of those songs here in this space. So it was cool to like capture those songs in the space that they're written in. It felt mm-hmm. kind of like full circle. Uh, and the record has like a bedroom kind of warm kind of vibe to it. So it it worked out for that. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm definitely not opposed to getting in the recording studio sooner or later. How many tracks were on that last one? 11. 
but one of them was straight from one of the Instagram videos because on this one day I wrote this song called sick days that was about being sick and not being able to take a sick day and I was sick while I performed it for Instagram so I had a really runny nose and it was a part of the like stick of the song so it had to be that performance take yeah um, so it's like 10 or you had to get sick again and then record it yeah or i had to get <laughs> sick again exactly <laughs> um so it was like it's 10 it's 10 tracks that i like tracked and reimagined and put some effort into and then one track that was straight from the instagram so 11 nice. songs yeah I remember one of our, our last um, interactions was I've, I've got to check out your record when you're done. You were like finishing it up, I think. Oh, hell yeah. Like we were texting and um, yeah. and I haven't checked it out. Oh, <laughs> so, dude, you're totally fine. It's totally fine. It's basically like a, just just imagine, just close your eyes and imagine a, a white boy singing sad songs with with a guitar and uh and that's that that that's all it is <laughs> now you've now, now you've heard the record so so you wrote 365 songs and and you picked 11 sad ones and you put them on the and that's what you made a record out <laughs> yeah there's actually um three or four of them are actually really happy Okay. Um, yeah. But you wouldn't, I don't think they're happy to most people. Like they're happy to me. I think maybe when most people hear them, they're like, that's, that's, that's not as sad as the other ones. <laughs> um, but I don't know, you know, it's like, I'm so close to this stuff because I wrote them. So I don't, yeah. I don't really know objectively how happy or sad they are. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of it in terms of it just being like, a capstone representation of this year long thing. <clears throat> sure. And then also like, uh, I made the record, I tracked it and mixed it in like nine days or 10 days or something. And it really kicked my ass. So I'm just like, I'm proud that it's That's finished. That's like a song a day, dude. That's impressive. Yeah. It was, it was wild. Yeah. Um, were you sad that whole year? Is that why so many sad songs or just when you write, you tend to channel sadness? I think it's both. Um, I did experience a fair amount of sadness. I've been like, I've been seeing a handful of different therapists like off and on for maybe the past six years or so to like talk about depressive tendencies that I have and like some mm -hmm. months it's worse than others. Um, but during my year of songwriting in particular, uh, I had like bouts of what felt like depression for, they, they were just like much deeper and much longer than usual. Um, and I don't know how much of that correlates with the fact that I was trying to write a song every day or how much of that was just related to other issues or just no reason at all. Um, but yeah, there, it was a, it was a very sad year, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to pry you <laughs> like, oh, a, you can, you, you can pry as much as you want. Well, I'll check out the songs and then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, there's a lot to be sad about in life. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. It's like. I get into these 
I get into these depressive episodes and it doesn't happen all the time. It'll happen maybe like, well, usually for the past six or seven years, it'll, it'll happen like for three weeks, three or four times a year. Like, like, okay, you know, but, um, but I, I, I get into these states where I just feel like super hollow and I feel like I'm not inhabiting my body or inhabiting my mind and, um, and, uh, it'll just like, it'll go on like that for, for weeks. And, uh, it's really strange, man. Super strange, but it, it hasn't happened all year this year. So that's, that's good. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. That's great news. Yeah. But it is funny, you know, it's like you say the word depression and it's like ev everybody experiences it so differently and so got uniquely. A train going by. Can you hear that? I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. It's uh this is a very casual impromptu podcast. We're we're train yeah. friendly over here. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the some of the songs contain lyrics that talk about the sadness that I felt and, but uh, you know, some of the songs are pretty happy too. So cool. Well, I'm excited good. to check it out. Nice man. Yeah. I, I hope you dig it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fuck yeah, dude, this has been a cool time. Absolutely. I appreciate you sitting down and taking the time to answer all of my very specific tape machine <laughs> questions. <laughs> Anytime, man. Oh yeah. Um is is there anything else you'd like to like to share with us while we while we have the the airwaves? Well, I've been working on some of my own music recently. Oh yeah. Cool. And I hope maybe within a year's time, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I hope to put a record out at some point. I've got Hell some yeah. complete songs. I've got a lot of song ideas, a lot of pieces. Cool. And I have a concept for it which nice. may or may not be helpful <clears throat> um, yeah. because it starts to limit you from like just free reign writing, you know, to like, Oh, I'm trying to write something specific. Yeah. I hear you. But, um, but I'm excited about it. I've mm. completed some lyrics on old songs. Um, I have an idea of the sonic space for the album recording wise. Hell yeah. Um, and I'll probably be collaborating with a ton of friends, old cool. LA river benders. And, um, I mean, you had Shane Graham on here, probably be yeah. hopefully sending him some stuff, um, Fuck yeah. to Ramon, um, as well as Jacob, um, and my buddy Toby, do you know, Toby Brian? The name sounds familiar. Doesn't... He had a band kissing in the hiccups um, cool. a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Jacob used to play with him. That's how we met Jacob actually. Nice. Um, and uh, I used to play bass with him from time to time at shows. Cool. It was like me, him and Jacob <clears throat> and uh, some other people off and on. And um, he's a great musician, like super nice free spirited that I like a lot. Um, <clears throat> so we've been sending ideas back and forth and then before the quarantine, we were getting together and jamming and, um, so some stuff down the road. I mean, nothing to announce or anything like that, but, yeah. um, you know, 
keep an eye out. There'll be some some material coming out at some point. Cool, man. Stoked to hear. Yeah. Are you gonna sing on it? Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Tight. Indeed. Yeah, I play like folk guitar along because you know in LA Riverbend I was playing bass and background singing, mm -hmm. but cool. um, also do like folk style finger plucking and yeah. I play keys enough to play like synthesizer parts and stuff like that. So. Nice man. Yeah. Hell yeah! Cool, dude. So the last question I'll ask you is: if there was a younger person out there who wanted to be in the position where you're in, where you're working at a dope vintage recording studio in Los Angeles. What, what advice would you give that person? I would say there's a lot of things. <clears throat> there's an element of luck to like in terms of the people that you meet in that, but it's important to be out and about. Mm. It's important to reach out to people. If there's a place that you like or that you could see yourself working at, don't hesitate to reach out mm. <clears throat> um, when the time is right. You know, if you think you're ready to fill that position, even if it's like bigger shoes, maybe a little bit bigger than you think you're ready for, don't hesitate to reach out and see if they're accepting people, you know? Oh, yeah. um, but important to do really, there's so, if you're in LA, there's so many studios in LA. So it's important to do the research to see like where what type of studio you like and what studios have the types of clients that you want to be working with and that sort of thing to be in the right niche yeah um and that's it you know like take chances and accept accept jobs and meet people and um and reach out and see who needs help hell yeah man it's great advice yeah. Fuck so, yeah, dude. Yeah. Cool. So we don't uh we don't have to sign off the call just yet, but let's sign off of podcast land. Okay. All righty. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Brandon, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs> well, I wanna know what it's like to create inside your mind. Tell me every little thing. glass to the hour that just passed cause I'm glad I spent them both with you well, feel free to plug your record tell the people how to look you up feel free to share with us the words of wisdom learned with sweat and Just one thing I've saved right for the end.